you're visiting with us, we're looking at the book of James, we're going section by, kind of section, by section through the book, and we come to a section today. Get your Bibles out if you don't have them this morning. If you're, if you're visiting with us, there's Bibles in a lot of the chairs in front of you. We're going to look at a lot of different scriptures today. And so we're going to flip around a lot, a lot more than, than normal. And so putter up your iPad or your, your phone or whatever and get ready. So the idea that James, that we're going to look at today is that the, the folks that James was writing to were much like the slaves in the video that saying, roll, Jordan, roll. Um, they worked almost in slave-like conditions for rich landowners who had, who had basically drained them dry and then taken their land and then now worked for them for a pittance. And, and, and we saw in a couple weeks ago, they weren't even paying them for their labor. And James says, you're actually killing them um, because you're oppressing them so bad and they're, they're under the weight of, of poverty and poverty is destructive and it was actually killing them. And they were being abused, James says, even to the point of death. And like the slaves who were enslaved, um, because of the color of their skin, the ones in America and, and, and across the world, um, that, that were singing, roll, Jordan, roll, like that, this class that James is writing was to were abused and neglected because they were of a different class. But it wasn't because of the color of their skin. It was because of one simple thing. They said were followers of Jesus Christ. That's why they were a different class. Now imagine that. They lived for Jesus in such a real way that the world around them could, could indicate, they could look at them and talk to them and interact with them and say, you're one of them. Well, we could just stop right there and say, is that true of us? You know, is that true of me? That they were of a different class. They were a, an oppressed class but not because of the color of the skin or because of their gender or because of their, their finances. They were an oppressed class because they were Christians. They were abused and they were mistreated because they followed Jesus as their Savior and they refused to hide that, let alone refused to, announce, to renounce their allegiance to Jesus. So let's see what James has to say to people who are abused and neglected. So James chapter 5, we're going to look at three verses today. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 9 say this. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce from the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Look what he does in three verses. He does things something three times. He gives this group of people who's oppressed, um, who's neglected and abused, because simply because of their, their, their desire to follow after Jesus. He gives them a reason for being hopeful, a reason for not giving up in their really hard times. He says it three times. The Lord is coming. The Lord is is near, the judge, which is the Lord, is standing right at the door. Friends, here's something we need to get to, to get straight in our minds today if we don't understand already. It's what James is doing here. It's this very simple fact. Jesus is coming back again. Jesus is returning again. And in that statement, um, they understood he was coming again to rescue them from their terrible trials and as judge, 
He was coming to make all things right. They may be abused and mistreated today and even tomorrow and next year and the year after. But Jesus will come back and he's going to make all things right. And they understood this. Suffering will not go unnoticed and sin will not go unpunished. That was all, that was all wrapped up in this idea that Jesus is coming back. So, so look at what James encourages people to do in the light of the fact, in their hard times, in the light of the fact that Jesus was going to return. In verse 7, he says, be patient. He says, be patient like a farmer who waits for the crop to grow. He says they can't, they can't harvest before the early rain and the latter rain. They need the season to pass before things grow. Basically saying this, guess what? Being anxious and worrying and fighting and complaining won't make your corn grow any faster. Dave, have you ever stood out in your soybean field and said, listen, grow! Does it, does it do any good? You may have done it, but it doesn't do any good. And that's what he's getting at here. Be patient. There's a time, there's a season that's coming. It doesn't pay to get mad at your corn or your soybeans because they're not growing. They haven't got the early rain and the latter rain yet. They're not through the seasons. Verse 8, he says, so verse 7, be patient. Verse 8, strengthen your hearts. Now, this is a, a positive statement. Do what you can do to encourage yourself and others. He says, strengthen your hearts. Do what you can do to encourage yourself and others. Talk about the hope of heaven. Remind yourself that in the end, God always wins. Sing songs of hope. Roll, Jordan, roll. We're going to cross it someday. Sing songs. Do what you can to encourage yourself. Verse 8. Verse 9. Don't complain. This is a warning against the negative. So verse 8 is the positive. Do this positively. But always, what usually when there's something we should do, there's something we shouldn't do. Matter of fact, if you wrestle with anxiety and depression, let me tell you, this three-part step will help you greatly in your life. Do the right thing. Don't do the wrong thing. As a person who has struggled with depression, do the right thing. Make yourself do the right thing and refuse to do the wrong thing. So number 9, he says, don't complain. This is a warning against the negative. In particular, don't complain against one another. You know, it's pretty common to go through tough times and take it out on those closest to you. You don't know, know how it works. You have a bad day at work. You're still pretty cordial with everybody at work, but the second you walk in the house, you take it out on the people that love you more than anybody else in the world. So James says, don't tear each other down. That only makes it worse. Remember, this trial won't last forever, so keep things in the right perspective. Love those around you. Don't make the mistake or don't make the matters worse by tearing down the good things that you do have around you. Because even if it's bad, you still have something amazing. You probably have people around you who love and care for you. So don't tear down those who love you and whom you love. So three times, James reminds his readers to hold on to the truth that can encourage them that Jesus is coming back. Understand something, though, in this text, because it's very brief. James is not in, in any way trying to convince these people that he's writing to that Jesus would return, because this group of people already knew it. You see, these folks would have been people in that, who lived at that time. They would have heard the reports of Jesus' life and death, resurrection, and his ascension on Mount Olives when, when 
the angels were there. The crowd stood watching. Jesus ascended. And remember what happened? It says two, two men in white appeared. Two angels appeared. In Acts 1.11 it records and it says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. They knew the stories. Maybe some of them actually were there and saw it. And we can surely assume that they had heard of the teachings of Jesus, maybe even heard them himself. When Jesus said, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of God be. No, James wasn't trying to convince them that Jesus would return. Rather, he was trying to comfort them. He's saying, listen, it's going to work out someday. Life might be really, really hard right now but it's going to work out someday. Now, it would be really easy for us this morning to put this teaching of James into a category of history lessons learned about suffering Christians from days gone by, how bad, how sad, smiley, a little frowny face. You know, wow, what a bad thing for them. It would be easy to do that because their lives are very much different than ours. Because maybe, maybe we will never see such oppression as they saw. And we will hopefully never be enslaved or greatly abused or oppressed. I sure hope that none of us has to ever experience that. But this is what I know. There have been more than a few times in my own life, and I've talked to more than a few people in my life, that have just wanted to give up on life, because life is tough. When the realities of life have been very difficult, or are very difficult maybe even right now, and the enemy of my soul and your soul has assaulted us with everything that he has, and it seems maybe hopeless, or it seems tiring, and I've been weary, and I've been broken, and I've been empty, and you've been weary, and you've been broken, and you've been empty, And in those times, we need to remember, remind ourselves, just as much as those abused Christians in James' day did, we need to remember that Jesus is coming back. We all need to be encouraged by the great reality that Jesus is coming again. That Jesus is going to take us to his side. He's going to make all things new and right. He's going to purify ourselves and purify this world, new heaven and new earth, a wonderful new reality. And he's going to free us from whatever chains this world has forced upon us. There's a lot of rotten things that happen to people that you never asked to happen to you. And some of the things that have happened to you have happened because you made bad choices. And that, that the reality has forced, forged chains upon us. What James is his, his encouragement to all of us in all of these various situations is this. Listen, church, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Now, you may be sitting here today, and some others could hear this message today, could hear us proclaiming what we declare from the Bible as truth, and they could laugh. They could scoff. They could say, you know what? 
you Christians are a bunch of pie-in-the-sky, you know, escapists. They say, truth is truth, reality is reality, and guess what? Uh, Jesus isn't coming. It's a fairy tale you believe. It's a pipe dream. You Christians have been saying that for over 2,000 years. So you know what if somebody says that? Let's let God himself answer that objection in his own words. Turn over just a few pages in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 9. Here's the deal, things. The world hasn't really changed as much as we think it's changed. People still have the same issues. Still, people still have the same problems. People still have the same objectives. And God's answers are still real and truth and life-changing. 2 Peter 3, 3 to 9, the message to the scoffers. It says, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where's, where's the reality of Jesus coming back? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Look at this. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That means changing direction from living their own life to following Jesus. See, God has a perfect timetable, friends. This is what he's talking about. He has a perfect timetable. He has a grand plan, and he's working it all out. And what, what Peter is saying under inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, God's not being slow about accomplishing his plan. Rather, he's being lovingly patient. He is prolonging his coming to give more people time to recognize their need of, of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he's giving time so that, so that you and I, if we know Jesus, can tell as many family members and friends as possible that they need Jesus in their lives so they can have eternal life with him. Let me ask you a question. Does anyone in this room have family or friends who do not know Jesus yet? Okay. If that's true, and I do, we're glad Jesus hasn't come back yet. I'm glad Jesus is being patient because there's more people who have to hear there's more people we need to reach. It's, it's eternity. It's the most important message in the world. The most important thing we could ever do with, our, with the energy in our life breath is to help people understand that, that Jesus loves them and they can have a relationship with him that starts now and lasts for eternity. That's the most important thing. So that's what he's doing. That's why Jesus hasn't returned yet. He's being lovingly patient. You know, maybe you're here today at Portview. 
and you have not yet come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you never even knew that, that you could come to Christ and find forgiveness of your sins and have a brand new life in Him and be welcomed into His family because it's His family. We're not biological. We're family by the blood of Jesus. Maybe you never knew that that was real, that you could have Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Understand something. The reason He's waiting to come back is because He loves you that much. He loves you that much to hold off in a world that's corrupted by sin and all the pain that goes on. He's he's holding off even though it breaks His heart when we are hurt. Because He's saying, but what about this one? What about that one? Maybe it's you today. He's inviting you into His family. He's waiting for you. So friends, the scoffers can scoff. But he is patiently waiting for every scoffer to accept. They're scoffing, and he's saying, but I'm waiting for you as you make a joke about it. I'm waiting for you. So he's not slow, but it's been 2,000 plus years. So friends, then is it fair to ask a question? And it is. Since it's been a very long time since Jesus said he'd come back, is it fair to ask the question then, when will he return? It's fair. And the scripture is pretty clear about the answer. How soon? It says soon. That's the answer. The question is, how soon is soon? And here's the other answer directly from scripture. We have absolutely no idea, and neither does anybody else. People have broken really the teachings of scripture and wrote books about it. I got flip charts, all the events of life. Here's the cool thing about being around for a little while. I've been a a Christian long enough. I've seen them have to always rework their flip charts because they're wrong. Because the Bible says we don't know when. It's soon. In God's version of soonness, where one day is like a thousand years. You ever go to work and one day felt like a thousand years? Jesus' timetable, he's saying a thousand years is like one day. It's the opposite. It's soon. We don't know how, what that means, how soon is soon. It's soon in God's economy. And friends, that's just my, not my opinion. That's exactly what Jesus taught about his return. He said it's soon coming, but it would be unexpected. So turn in your Bible to the first New Testament book, Matthew chapter 24, near the end of the book of Matthew. And let's see what Jesus himself had to say to us about his return. Matthew 24 We're going to start in verse 36. It says, But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, so not even Jesus knows, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man, which is Jesus, will be just like the days of Noah. For as in the days... Before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be two men in a field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know at which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. 
For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will come. In Noah's day, he uses this picture of Noah. In Noah's day, nobody believed that the crazy guy building the great big boat was anything but nuts. It had never, it had never rained. There was no lakes. We don't know exactly what it was like, but there was nothing for, no one knew what a boat was. Nothing floated. Maybe there was oceans, I'm not sure, but here we know it didn't make any sense. Then dry land, and he's, he's building a gigantic boat. And in Noah's day, no one believed that there was going to be a flood, but it came. You remember how it came? It came unexpectedly. And it wiped out everyone except Noah and his family and the animals that God led him to preserve on the ark. And that's what Jesus' return is going to be like. Everyone is just going to be going about their business as business as usual. Like in those days, eating and drinking, working and playing, marrying, raising babies and grandbabies, and the trumpet will sound and Jesus will return. The word that we use to describe this idea of Jesus coming at any time is the word imminent. The return of Jesus is imminent. And it's a very important word because its meaning is, it, it, it's rich with meaning. It means this. It could happen at any time. And it means this. That there's nothing standing in its way to happen. That's why all the flip charts don't matter to me. Because it's imminent. It means events don't have to happen first for Jesus to come back. It could happen at any time. Nothing is holding it back. And imminent means this. It could be today. It could happen before I'm done, the return of Christ. Before I'm done preaching this message, there's no reason it could not happen today. It's imminent. Nothing's holding the return of Christ back. And friends, it may be today. It could be today. Now look, a few verses over. In Matthew 24, how it describes what that day will be like. Look at Matthew 24, starting in verse 29. It says, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be turned dark, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. What a day. A trumpet. Lightning flash, Jesus on the clouds, Jesus returning for his people in a glorious fashion for all the world at one time to see. Everybody, 24 time zones, around the globe somehow will be a global event. And Jesus will come. And the point Jesus is making is, it could be today. Imagine that. Jesus might return today. That's that's the message of Scripture. That's the truth of Scripture. Now, 
Here's a question that we have to come to in, in light of that truth. Because that's truth. That's not Mark truth. That's Bible truth. How then should knowing that Jesus might come back today affect you and me? How should it affect me? Well, as James has been writing here, it should encourage us. Encourage. Encourage. It should give you courage. It should make you courageous. What holds you back from doing what God wants you to do? What holds you back from telling other people about the reality of Jesus? It's usually fear. The reality that Jesus has come back today should encourage you. It should make you strong and courageous to do anything that God asks you to do. Knowing, hey, he might come back today. And give you courage to keep going in the hard times. Courage to say, it's not fair, life's not fair, this is not what I thought my life would be like. But you know what? It's courage to say, I'm going to keep on going, I'm not going to give up, I'm going to walk forward with Jesus. It encourages us to keep fighting the good fight, keep loving and keep sharing and keep trusting and keep hoping, knowing that Jesus could come back today. But also it should do something else. Knowing that Jesus could come back today, it should cause us to live in ways that we would want to be living in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Doing things that if Jesus came back, I'd want to be doing that. You know? Ask yourself, what would you like to be doing when Jesus returned? I'd like to be telling somebody about Jesus. Or I'd like to be in a very loving, good relationship, in celebrating the goodness with, with friends and family. Maybe you'd want to be helping someone or serving somehow in Christ's name or, or loving your family or maybe singing your favorite songs at church. You're worshiping. And whatever that trumpet would sound like. And the Son of Man coming in the clouds to gather his people. Can you imagine the whole church taken today before we leave? Can you imagine what it would be like? What would you want to be doing? But the other side of that coin, that coin the question of that coin is, is, what wouldn't you want to be doing? Looking at Facebook during the sermon? I don't know. Um, fighting or arguing with someone? Fighting for your rights? I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to prove it. Cheating someone in some way? That business deal, man. What's really not important is that they see Jesus in me. What's important is I get more. Is that what you want to be in the middle of that negotiation where you're taking advantage of someone for, to, build, for, to build you a bigger stockpile? Is that what you want to be doing when Jesus returns? Suzanne always makes a joke. She says when the, when the Lord returns, I'm going to say, excuse me, Lord, I've got to finish my conversation first. <laughs> I want it to be a good conversation. The point is this. It's the point of Scripture. We should live in a way that we're ready. It's a parable of the, in the Bible, the parable of the smart, and the, the, the wise, and the foolish virgins. That's the, same, that's the same story. Five were ready and five weren't ready. Five were, were expected, and five were living in a way that they weren't ready. We should live in a way um, that we're ready. Live in such a way that you would welcome the physical presence of Jesus into whatever situation you're living in in that moment. Now, here's the reality check for us. The, the presence of Jesus is really with us always anyways. He's everywhere always. 
If you're a Christian, he literally inhabits you. Ever think of that? Where do you take Jesus? What do you expose him to? What do you watch? What do you do? What do you say? But the fact, the fact, the idea of the physical presence maybe has more impact on us. This is why James reminds us of something, why I looked at the three verses together in James. He reminds us of this in the coming of the Lord. He reminds us that, that Jesus, the judge, is standing, he says, right at the door. See, Jesus is coming to put things in order, to make everything right, to make perfect judgments because he knows the true condition, intention of every person's heart. You can't fool Jesus. You can fool me all day long. You can fool your friends. You can fool your spouse. You can fool other people. You can never fool Jesus. He knows us perfectly. Look back again at 2 Peter. Look back to 2 Peter. To see what it says about how our behavior should be affected by knowing that Jesus is returning. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Look, it's going to be purified. It's an image of the purifying to create the new heavens and new earth. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of... Stop there. With all these things will be destroyed in this way. Meaning everything that you worked your butt off to get is going to be burned up. Okay? Everything that you thought was so important you worked so hard for is going to be burned up since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. What sort of people ought you to be in, the, in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense Heat. What sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Knowing that Jesus is coming back, and it could be today, should motivate us towards holiness. That means living in a whole way. With Jesus as our example of ultimate wholeness. Towards desiring to grow in Christ-likeness. And we're taking a break in, in August from our transformation classes. The whole reason we do all those classes on the Wednesday night and a lot of other things we do, but the intention, the primary intention of all of our Wednesday night classes um, is to help people become more like Jesus, to grow in Christ's likeness. What are you doing to say to God through action? I'm trying my best to grow in Christ's likeness, to be more like Jesus. After this series, we're going to go into a short series, nine weeks, on the, on the fruit of the Spirit. The reason we're going to do that, it's a target we're aiming at. You want to become more like Jesus, you want to know what Jesus is like? He's, he is the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look nine weeks and try to say, God, help us to become like this. We're aiming at that target because he's coming back. And I want to become like Jesus. The most important thing you can do in life, friends, is not what you do, it's who you become. It's going to be the theme for, for those weeks. It's not what you do, it's who you become because who you become is the only thing you take with you into eternity. You're not taking your sports car or your 401k or your beautiful home into eternity. Peter says it's going to burn. So it should motivate us to grow in Christ-likeness. 
It should motivate us to being busy about the Father's business of expanding his kingdom through the loving, through loving people for Christ and telling them that he's the answer. This idea that Jesus is coming back should change our lives. It should encourage us. It should motivate us. Now, let's end today by letting the very last book and the last chapter of the Bible speak to us. So flip all the way to Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation 22, and we're going to pick out a couple of different verses. And if you have a Red Ladder Edition Bible, there's some of the ones that are in red, which means that as the Lord inspired this, and this is John writing this, that these are the words that actually came right from Christ. So let's let, let's let God speak to Portview Church today. The last words that he saw as fit to inspire into, his, into the word of God that would be used to, to, to lead us to him and help us to become what we're supposed to become, what's he say is important here? 22 verse 7. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Chapter 12, or verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Just maybe God is trying to get us to believe something today that will transform our lives. I think the very best perspective we can have towards understanding end times, there's all kinds of people who get all hung up on understanding end times. End times meaning, how is it going to happen? Jesus coming back. What are the sequence of events? People ask me all the time, Pastor, you don't preach on end times very much. I said, oh, I do all the time. I just preach on it in the way I think is the right biblical way. You want to know the right biblical view of end times? Jesus is coming. We don't know when. It could be today. Be ready. That is, the, that is the story of Scripture on end times. Jesus is coming. Come, be comforted in that. If your times are bad, Jesus is coming. It's not going to be forever. Jesus come, let it motivate you to right action. Jesus is coming. We don't know when, but it could be today. It's imminent. Be ready. Live in a way that you want to be living when Jesus returns. That doesn't mean you can be goofy and say, well, that means I'm just going to sit and pray all day, every day. Pray without ceasing doesn't mean kneeling down and praying. It means living in a life of awareness of Christ. That's what praying without ceasing means. Living in the awareness of his presence. So you still have to go to work. But you go to work. You know why you go to work? Yes, you have to earn money. But you know why you go to work? Because you establish the kingdom of God in that place. The reason you go there is not to make money primarily. It's to establish the kingdom of God in that place. And if you're a different person at work than you are in church on Sunday morning, let this message motivate you to say, I need to become more like Jesus. When you go to school, and you're with your family, all of that, live it every moment in such a way. When you're in the middle of the squabble at the end of the bad day, let this message make you say, stop, time out. I don't want to spend my time doing this, living like this. 
This could be the last moment. Live in such a way that Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. It could be today. Be ready. That's the message of Scripture. So the question is, church, are you living in a way that you're living ready? You understand none of us is perfect. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. But are you trying to live your life in a way that you're ready for his return? That you're saying, God, I wish you'd come back today. Is your life right with Jesus? You know, maybe there's some adjustments you need to make in your life that as we're talking, the Spirit's speaking to you, and he's saying, you know what? Maybe that needs to change. Maybe you're going through a tough time knowing that Jesus is going to come again, going to come again and make all things new is the rest you need today. You need to rest in that. And maybe you need to come to Jesus today. You've never done that possibly. You can invite him into your life today. Let's pray together this morning. Well, Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this constant theme that's, that's repeated over and over and over through your word that says you're coming back. Lord, I can't wait. Lord, I've got to tell you selfishly, and I can speak for our church family, I wish it was today. Because this world is full of sin and corruption and it sure looks like it's getting a whole lot worse. It's not getting better. But Lord, teach us your grace. That love that you have for human, humanity, for mankind that says, yes, I understand that. But what about that one? And that one? Or that whole nation? Or that whole people group? Or that family? That don't yet know. So Lord, in light of that, we trust you. We trust that you and you're working out your perfect plan. You know the exact right moment and that God, we don't. And it's all right. We rest in that. We rest in the fact that when you say this is the perfect moment, the trumpet's going to sound and you're going to return. So Lord, in light of that, living in light of the reality of your return, you may be speaking to our hearts about some things that need to be changing. Lord, I know as I, as I meditated on this and worked through this message this morning, um, writing this this last week, um, there were some things that I had to bring before you and go, I don't want this to be like that anymore. I don't want to have this going on. I don't want to be having, harboring this or thinking that or having that unresolved, knowing that this may be my last day. You could call us home. So, Lord, speak to our minds. We, we, we open up our hearts to you. We say, Lord, here we are. Open it, available and transparent. So right now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? If, there's some, if you want us to bring some change into our lives, just make that really clear to our spirits right now. Because we want to live in a way that's that gives you great glory and accomplishes your work that the scriptures say can actually speed along your return as a church is, is engaged in the work of reaching lost people and not engaged in being distracted. But Lord, I also know this. There could be people in this place that feel lost. They do not, in 
way they don't they don't have you as their savior in life. They're living on their own in a sense of living life by their own rules and doing their best, but they don't have you as their savior in their Lord. Maybe maybe before today they never realized this idea that you're really real. They thought you were maybe just some old story. But something's happening today. They're realizing by the presence of your spirit that you're here and you're real. And you're actually even in this place by your spirit. And they're feeling something. They're feeling this draw, this pull inside of them that says, I need Jesus. Lord, we know that's an act of your spirit because your word says no man comes into the Son unless the Father draws him or pulls him and that's the work you do that by your spirit Lord there well could be people in this place this morning who really don't have Jesus as their savior but right now something's going on inside your spirit they're saying I need this that's something that's going on is the Holy Spirit pulling you to yourself this morning as we're praying as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed if you say I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to ask him into my heart and to, to change from my life and follow him and, and become one of his followers and enter the family of God and have the freedom that comes in Christ, have my sins forgiven and walk with him. You're saying, yes, I need Jesus. I need to give you a chance to respond. For in prayer, heads are bowed and our eyes are closed in a private moment. I'm just going to say this sanctuary, starting on my left and your right. I'm going to ask you if you want to ask Christ in your life today to just look up the rest of you. to look right in the eye. Make sure I see you. Right in the eye. I'm going to go from my left to my right. Just look at the other side and say I want to ask you to see The center section. I want to ask Jesus. I don't have Christ in my life. I want to ask you you're responding this way, we're gonna, I'm just going to lead in a prayer and there's nothing nothing magical about the words and I'm going to invite the whole church to pray aloud, out loud. I'm going to invite you to pray aloud with the whole church. So so many in here have prayed this prayer already. This, uh, this is a prayer of invitation of welcoming Jesus to come into our lives and, and you pray this from your heart. You're asking Jesus in your life. So let's pray together, church. Dear Jesus, want to be brand new and I can't do it on my own so I give up on my own ways and today I surrender to you come into my life Jesus make me brand new wipe away all the junk forgive me of every sin and this day me with you.